1: We start this week's Twilight Zone back in the Old West, a cowboy named Joe Caswell sits on top of a horse with a noose around his neck while the father of the man he's killed watches from a hilltop. A priest offers Caswell a prayer but Caswell declines and soon after the horse walks away leaving Caswell dangling from the noose. Eighty years later in New York, a scientist by the name of Professor Mannion activates a time machine. He doesn't know who or what will arrive in it, but he pulls Joe Caswell through time before the rope snaps his neck. Tonight's Twilight Zone is execution, and the original unused trailer went like this. This item may somewhat resemble an ultra-modern greenhouse. Actually it happens to be a conveyance, that's right, a mode of travel, time travel, and next week you'll see Albert Salmi take an extended journey over land, sea and calendar from 1880 to 1960. This one we recommend most highly, it's quite unusual. I hope then next week you'll be able to take another walk with us into the Twilight Zone
0: commonplace, if somewhat grim,
1: unsocial event known as a necktie party.
0: The guest of dishonor, a cowboy named Joe Caswell, just a moment away from a rope, a short dance several feet off the ground, and then the dark eternity of all evil men. Mr. Joe Caswell, who when the good Lord passed out a conscience, a heart of feeling for fellow men, must have been out for a beer and missed out. Mr. Joe Caswell, in the last quiet moment, a violent life.
1: First broadcast on the 1st of April 1960. Written by Rod Serling and based on an unpublished story by George Clayton Johnson. And the director this time is David Oric McDiamond. Now this is the first of three Twilight Zones that McDiamond directed. He directed season two's A Thing About Machines, which... I have to admit isn't really a favourite of mine. He also directed the episode Back There which was also in Season 2 of The Twilight Zone and also features the actor Russell Johnson who plays Professor Mannion in this episode. McDeemon was not necessarily a particularly prolific director, he actually started out as a television actor and none of his credits really stick out to me. Uh, maybe an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents is the most noticeable thing for me, but he then seemed to switch tracks from acting to directing in 1956-57, about that time. So he has a few directing credits, but he seemed to go to shows and sometimes once he'd done one episode, he'd stick around and do some more. Shows like Lux Video Theatre, Peter Gunn, and they also did a couple of episodes of Gilligan's Island, which also features Russell Johnson. So these are television shows that don't really mean a great deal to me, but uh, perhaps American listeners will uh, remember these more than British ones. Now like I say, this episode was based on an unpublished story by regular Twilight Zone writer George Clayton Johnson, I've never read the story because I guess obviously it was unpublished but there are a few details about it that I could find and it seems that it's actually quite different from the version that Rod Sailing brought to the screen. The first difference is that in the original story it was two scientists who brought Caswell forward in time but the biggest difference is at the end and I'll talk about that when we get there. Now the first thing that always strikes me about execution is how violent it is, I mean in the scheme of things compared to what we have today obviously it's uh, it's nothing, it pales in comparison in terms of it's violent content, but for a twilight zone this is a lot more violent than we used to and there's some imagery there that's uh, still very striking for it's time You know, a hangman's noose is an image that on its own is quite striking, and then we see Caswell's feet dangling from it. So again, although we don't see his neck in the noose as he hangs, there's no doubt about what's happening. So it's quite dark, and from the outset it really doesn't get any lighter from then on in. If we think about how that effect was actually achieved, perhaps it does take a bit of that away. It was simply Albert Sarmie, the actor, jumping up and grabbing the rope and then hanging down with just his legs in shot, so it doesn't seem too bad and he did it for two takes but after that he had to tell the director that he wasn't sure if he could do it a third time because he didn't have the strength in his arms. So think about the time, you know this was the same year that Alfred Hitchcock, uh, really psycho, and that's a film where he had to fight the censors because he wanted to show a toilet flushing, You know, so if we think of it in those terms, it is quite a a violent episode, especially for its time. Now the network did have issues with a few things, and Rod Serling, as he would often do, ignored some suggestions. But he took on board others Uh, for example the opening speech where caswell calls the bible that book you know they wanted some of the wording changed in that but sailing left it as it was but he did compromise in other ways Uh, an example is at one point caswell says i've been to hell and back and sailing changed it to i've been to hell and now i'm back
0: reverend no need, I ain't interested in prayers. And you're a mortal soul, Caswell. Are you interested in that? It's my mortal neck that concerns me now. Since that book ain't gonna help, I as leave, make it short and get it over with.
1: So Professor Mannion brings Caswell from the Old West to the present, which in this case is the 1960s. And he does not know who Caswell is or what he's done He's just brought this man through time, with good intentions I suppose, he is a man of science, a, a clever man. But, in the words of Dr. Malcolm from Jurassic Park, it seems that Professor Mannion has done something because he could, without really considering whether he should. In a way, it's, it's rather a selfish, self-serving act to just pull someone out of their life like this. Now, we don't really know how developed this time machine is. Later on, Professor Mannion does say that he wants to send Caswell back and hopefully to the exact same time and place, but does he know that he can do this for sure? I mean, we don't really care that Professor Mannion has brought Caswell forward because of who Caswell is. He's a villain. But what if he'd have brought someone else back? It's obvious he didn't know who he was bringing forward. What if he'd brought a new parent into the future who was responsible for the welfare of a child? You know, what if he'd brought the child forward? What if he'd brought someone who was responsible for some pivotal act in history? You know, there's lots of consequences here. And even if Professor Mannion can say with certainty that he can put people back in the time and place he took them from, what right does he have to take them in the first place? We can see what effect the modern world had on Caswell later on in the episode where he ventures out and is nearly driven insane by what he sees. So to put a person back into their own time having completely altered what they know of life and the future, it's gonna change them. And has anyone really got the right to do that?
0: This is a time machine. What's happened to you involves principles which you wouldn't understand. For the moment, I don't know what your past was. But you've got a most distinguished future. You're the first time traveler in the history of man. And I'm going to introduce you to a whole new world. And you're going to tell me about an old one.
1: There is a lot made of how Caswell is very much a product of his environment or at least that's how he justifies his actions and again we'll go into that in a, a little more in a minute but it does seem to me that despite how misguided Professor Mannion was in doing what he did it does offer something to Caswell that he's either too unsophisticated to really grasp or maybe he's just confused or maybe set in his ways. Professor Mannion seems to be unknowingly offering Caswell a new chance, a chance to to wipe the slate clean. In a sense, he's Professor Mannion's responsibility now, he's the one who's brought him forward, so the responsibility of food and shelter and so on, falls on Professor Mannion. So, all Caswell really needs to do is sit back and go with the flow, keep his past deeds to himself, and it could be a fresh start. You know he talks often the things he's had to do to survive and the choices he's had to make, but now he's got a chance where those things don't really matter anymore, but he doesn't really take that chance, so puts the question out there are his actions dictated by his upbringing and what he has to do to survive? Or have those actions consumed him now where that's the only way he knows how to live?
0: But some things don't change, ideas, concepts, things like right and wrong. I know all about right and wrong. <laughs> Once I was a deputy sheriff in Dodge City, tried to beat the difference between them and my back with a wet rope. I know all about right and wrong what about justice caswell what about justice i'm going to have to send you back 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 to where you belong back to that very moment if i can and that's supposed to be justice huh i died once already mister i've been to hell now i'm back and those 20 men that you killed, Caswell, they died with no discomfort? Mister, you're just talking words. Justice, right and wrong. They sound good in this nice warm room, with a nice full stomach, just a few feet away from a soft bed. They sound nice, and they go down easy. But you just try them on an ice-cold mesa where another man's bread or another man's jacket stands between you and staying alive. You get in this machine of yours and you go back to where I was and you talk about your law and your order and your justice. They're going to sound different.
1: I'm going to pause for a moment and uh, we'll talk about our leading man. Caswell is played by Albert Sami, but he was originally going to be played by an actor called Neville Brand. Brand actually got as far as to attend rehearsals, but on the day of shooting he called in sick and Buck Houghton replaced him with Albert Sami. Now Brand wasn't as heavy set as Sami, but he did have a great face for a villain, very square features, and he did look at home in a cowboy outfit but his time would come again in the Twilight Zone in the 1964 episode The Encounter. The writer George Clayton Johnson said, I met Albert Sami on set, he was very quiet, but I think that was because he was bottling up all his emotions for the role, he was a method actor. After seeing what he could do on set when they filmed, I knew he was a wonderful actor. So who am I to disagree with George Clayton Johnson? I absolutely agree, I think Sámi is more or less pitch perfect in this. He plays Caswell's cruel side effortlessly, but then there's a lot more to do here than just being a typical outlaw type of character. There are some shades there as well. His delivery of the speech he gives to Mannion where he's saying, Who are you to judge me? You know, spend some time in my shoes live the life I've had to live and see whether things are as black and white as you think. You know, it's an ongoing debate, the nature versus nature debate. And, and then there are scenes where Caswell is exposed to this new world. And again, this brings another element to his performance that he pulls off really well. I think at a time when actors weren't particularly naturalistic, i think that sami does bring a very natural kind of performance to this role he does seem like a genuine man out of time rough around the edges you know shaped by the old west rather than a tv cowboy and that's really to his credit we've already mentioned our friend russell johnson who played professor Mannion, and he said in an interview As far as my TV favourites are concerned, it's my Twilight Zone. It was considered a prestige show, so I did one and it went well. A year later I got a lead role in another episode. Rod Serling would come on set each day and see how things were going and to chat. He was a busy guy. Rod would come down for maybe 15-20 minutes in the morning and then go back to his office and pound at the typewriter. Then he'd show up again at some point in the afternoon after they'd seen the daily rushes. I had no long contact with him but he was certainly an agreeable dedicated and driven man. So I did mention earlier on that the story by George Clayton Johnson did have some differences to what ended up on screen because Rod Serling rewrote it. A major difference is the ending because in George Clayton Johnson's version Caswell is shot by a police officer and reappears back in the Old West. Now, This change has brought up uh, an interesting difference of opinion from some Twilight Zone commentators. Mark Zickery, in The Twilight Zone Companion calls it cluttered and unbalanced, and considers George Clayton Johnson's original version to be better than what sailing did. Whereas Douglas Brodie in Rod Sailing in the Twilight Zone thinks that Sailing's version is an improvement because George Clayton Johnson's finale, where Caswell is shot and then disappears and goes back to the hangman's noose, doesn't really make any sense because there's no explanation of it. Whereas Zikri thinks that ending is better. It's difficult to make a definitive judgment without having read the story and reading that ending in context but from what i do know about it i think i'm with douglas brodie on this one from the sounds of it it doesn't really make much sense for caswell to just reappear in the old west when he dies because it's a time machine that's brought him here and it doesn't really seem to fit with that mode of time travel if you like Far from it being cluttered, I think Sailing's resolution works just fine. As we know in the TV version, a crook by the name of Paul Johnson, who was played by Fan Wyan, comes into Mannion's lab when Caswell is there. Caswell's already killed Mannion by this point, and this crook is perhaps Caswell's modern-day equivalent. It's this moment that sets up a finale of... Very Twilight Zone-esque ironic justice. Caswell does end up dying at the end of a rope, but it's the rope of a window blind when he is strangled by Johnson and he's dispatched in the same cold manner that he's probably used on tens of men in the past. The crook Paul Johnson's ironic end comes when he accidentally gets transported into the past in the time machine that brought Caswell to the future, and there he meets the end that Caswell should have had. But there is one more instance of ironic justice in this episode, and we might be a little less accepting of this one. Perhaps in the tradition of a scientist being killed by his own monster as a kind of punishment for playing God, Professor Mannion met his end by the hand of the monster he brought through time. You know I've no doubt that Mannion had nothing but good intentions with his work, but having created such a powerful piece of technology, it wasn't his intentions that were found lacking, but his sense of responsibility. Mannion may not have brought forward someone in time that mattered so much in the scheme of things, but he could have. He was so blinded what he could do. He was so blinded by what he could do that he didn't think about whether he should do it at all. Mannion was just playing with things that should probably have been left alone. So it's a cruel fate for what is essentially a good man. But as we've seen in the show before, when the Twilight Zone delivers justice, just ask Henry Bemis, it's, it's usually blind.
0: This is November 1880 the aftermath of a necktie party. The victim's name, Paul Johnson, a minor league criminal and the taker of another human life. No comment on his death save this. Justice can span years. Retribution is not subject to a calendar. Tonight's case in point in the Twilight Zone.
1: Now, I did talk about a change in format uh, to the Twilight Zone podcast for a couple of reasons, really. One was that I needed to make it a bit more manageable so that I could get these episodes out, hopefully more regularly, which is really what I'm working towards and, and trying to do because, you know, otherwise this is going to take forever. And I do enjoy doing it, and I do enjoy the interaction with people out there. Now, you might think, well, it's not such a great change in format, but... Basically what I'm trying to do is I found that in the past if there wasn't much in the way of trivia about an episode I would often find that I just seemed to commentate the episode uh, in tune with some clips and you know it starts at the beginning, I would talk through each stage of the story and use clips along the way. and. You know, I would try and put bits and pieces of trivia in there, but if there wasn't much, there are some episodes where I think, well, all I've really done there is just talk through the episode. Um and that in itself just seems a little pointless. So what I'm trying to do is rather than just narrate the episode, is approach it much more as a review rather than a commentary, if you like. So You'll notice there are fewer clips, and that's again for time reasons. But I'm gonna try and get back to the essence of when I originally started, and that's to pull out the things where I, I want to hold this up as a great speech or a great piece of writing or you know something important rather than just including clips for the sake of it, to because I'm commentating on the episode. So, you know, I hope it doesn't make too much of a difference to anyone's enjoyment of the show, but I just feel like this is a better way to do it, hopefully a little less time consuming and a bit more interesting, so it'll be more of a review with bits of trivia in there than than an episode commentary, which, you know, Mark Zickery does better than me on the DVD and blu ray so you can always go to him for that, Um, but... You know let me know what you think i i hope it doesn't impact anyone's enjoyment of the show but uh yeah let me let me know what you think on that one a few pieces of business to get through tonight before we sign off so uh if you'll just bear with me first of all i'd like to say a thank you to perhaps the silent partner in the twilight zone network uh a man who has done a lot of work for us above and beyond the call of duty and that's the artist by the name of Dark Ink One. He's been freshening up the design of the website recently and it looks great. So I'd just like to thank him for the work he's done for us lately because without him we wouldn't have such a great place for this uh, for this podcast to live. So thank you Dark Ink One, it's always appreciated. Now, the next order of business is saying goodbye to an old friend who, uh, who's done some great work on the twilight zone network. Now he's not actually going away. He's still, you know, co-owner of the website and so on. And I'm sure he'll pop up in other forms here and there and contribute and so on. But he's, he's moved on to a new project and that's obviously Chris from the night gallery podcast. He has completed his run of night galleries and, uh, As some of you might know, both me and Chris are big horror fans and he's moved on to create a podcast about the Video Nasties. Now, uh, if you're not sure what the Video Nasties are, then there's no better introduction than the first episode of Chris's podcast, which can be found at videonastiespodcast.com. And in that episode, he will explain the history of the Video Nasties and... Why they're important and so on... And the, the controversy surrounding them... And going forward he's going to be revisiting each of those films... And uh, giving his thoughts on them in you know the way that only Chris can... He's a great host and I'm really looking forward to it... The first episode was great... So if that's your thing, check it out... And that's on his new website... VideoNastiesPodcast.com and Now if you remember... In the last episode, it was the Christmas special where we talked about Twilight Zone, the movie. I hope you've enjoyed it. We've had some good feedback about it. People people seem to dig it, so that's, that's always good. Um, but at the end of it, we discussed our hopes for the new Twilight Zone movie and the recently announced, potentially, new Twilight Zone television show. Now, some people gave their thoughts, but... I've received an MP3 clip from a good friend of the show who we've mentioned before, Nasa Hassan, and he's also a podcaster, and he's going to tell you the details of his podcast in this uh, clip if you want to check him out. But uh, he has some some really good insights into uh, how he thinks it should go and you know about what we discussed. So I won't talk about it anymore. I'll rejoin you after this feedback, but... Uh, here he is. Here's Nasa with his uh, his thoughts on Twilight Zone, the movie.
2: Hey, Tom. This is Nasa. I guess my comments mainly are in uh, in line with what you guys were talking about on the uh, special that you guys did for Christmas with the uh, Twilight Zone movie review. I'm not really trying to get into the movie, which I have certainly as many mixed feelings about as, as everyone else, I'm sure, does. Um, I, what I really wanted to comment on is... What you guys were talking about with the upcoming Twilight Zone movie that uh, is being discussed, I think um, there's a few things that I agree with you guys on, and there's a few things that I disagree on. Um, I think the main thing that I disagree on is the idea that this new movie should be in anthology format. I actually think there's a reason why we keep going down the same road and keep failing. Uh, I think that was probably part of the big issue with the Twilight Zone movie from the 80s. Um, I also sort of disagree on, uh, at least to an extent, on whether it would be better served as a series. Um, I definitely buy into the argument that TV is doing bigger and better things than it ever has when you include cable networks like AMC and FX. But I also think that... Without Rod Serling, it's really hard to imagine a writer, even the best of writers, continuing to be able to pump out great scripts, even 12 at a time a season, if it was a short-run season or, or a split fall-spring season or something. or Just going season after season, I'm just not sure if there's a writer there that can go into the Twilight Zone format and come up with the success that Serling and his other writers had. I think there are lots of great writers in TV right now, but I think if you put a lot of those guys into the kind of cage that is the Twilight Zone, I, I don't know how long they'd be able to keep up the success. So, with that said, maybe there's a writer or a producer or a crew at you know that could update the Twilight Zone in a way that pleases its longtime fans like us or, you know, can bring in new audiences, you know, in that new kind of style, you know, that AMC and, and FX, I think in particular, are able to do with a lot of great hour-long series. I, I'm a little bit less hopeful than maybe uh, I think you guys came to a conclusion of. Um, what I do think, actually, is I think the Twilight Zone. Movie format that you guys briefly discussed, as far as just having some movies come out every year, every two years, that fall under the Twilight Zone banner that are full length features. Of Twilight Zone like tales could possibly be the best solution. You've mentioned many times that Planet of the Apes was essentially Rod Serling's first full-length feature film. Obviously, that script was you know run through a blender several times, and and he wasn't allowed to take it to the ending of its of of its. You know he wasn't able to get the full fruition out of it. He, you know, had that script kind of taken away from him, and you know it was written by a there are a lot of. Kitchen, uh, cooks in the kitchen i should say um, for that but at its core that's a sterling story we all know that it's got the twist it's got the social commentary it's got everything about sterling that we love so i think there are two answers for the full-length movie question i think the first would be to take because i'm sure that sterling wrote probably a lot of full-length movies that have just never, you know, that just weren't accepted by Hollywood at the time that are probably at least have elements of brilliance in them where somebody could come along and, and revise them for the modern times and maybe make film out of them. Uh, Or somebody could take, I'm sure he's got lots of, of, you know, things written that were maybe written for TV or written for the twilight zone that just didn't come to fruition at the time. Possibly if somebody was able to get into that library, you know, and get access and permission from the family, maybe there could be a great movie that's made, you know, as you guys said, if there were the right writers and the right directors and the right people to come along and produce that film. And I think a lot of that has to do with, uh, you know, you guys mentioned Christopher Nolan. I think he'd be a great choice. You know, I'm not the expert on uh, movie you know, producers and writers and directors and such, where I can just name off names. But I know what I like, you know, I know, you know, who's capable, I mean, if you, you know, speaking Christopher Nolan, I mean, you guys had mentioned a few of his films and how Twilight Zone-esque they were. I mean, think about Memento. I mean, if that's not a Twilight Zone, I don't really know what is. So, somebody coming from that mindset, I think, would be great in updating an unreleased, you know, piece of writing, um, from Serling, I think the other answer is possibly updating a, a Twilight Zone episode. Um, of course, there are going to be hurdles in stretching a what um, boils down to a 22 minute program uh, with commercials into a you know what would be a 90 minute film. At the same time, that's what movie makers do. You know, like if you're a good filmmaker, that's what you do. You you make film. And you understand how to fill in the gaps. And I think, like I've said a couple of times, the right person for that job, it could happen. Which episodes? I think the example that was raised somewhere maybe on the internet that you guys were talking about with uh, Eye of the Beholder, I think that's a good example. I think the problem with Eye of the Beholder is the twist. And I think the issue with the Twilight Zone in full-length form is that the episodes that people know best are the ones with the twist, even though, as we all know, the twist wasn't everything that the Twilight Zone was. The twist in the most popular episodes is already known. So if you make a full-length feature out of Eye of the Beholder, people already know what the ending's going to be. So it's kind of pointless. So I think what you'd have to do with The Oddly the Beholder is you'd have to continue the story. And I think Oddly Beholder fits into that where something else could happen after that. You know, we could spend the first 30, 45, 60 minutes of that film remaking and maybe improving or adding, or well, improving is the wrong word, but just, you know, bringing more into the original story. And then the last 60 to 90 minutes would be... Well, now I'm going two and a half hours, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, you could make a longer movie out of it, but the last 60 minutes, if it was a two-hour film, could be an enhancement of like, well, what happens on this island or this this quote-unquote ghetto? You know, what happens there? What do those people think when they're on that island? What are they thinking? I mean, I guess we're getting into fan fiction world at this point, but that would be the way to go about it. I think um, People Are Like All Over is another great example. I've always felt like, that episode in particular could be a full-length feature because I'm always amazed by how much gets done in that 22 minutes in that episode where you are you feel the emotion. I mean, a lot of it is because of Roddy McDowell just being such a brilliant actor, but you feel the passion of not wanting to go outside, of trusting these aliens, and of being tricked all in 20 minutes as if you had spent an hour or two hours watching that episode. And, you know, the facial expressions in that episode between the aliens... Um, they tell the story when you watch it the second time, it's all obvious to you. And that, that was the brilliance of that episode. But again, that's another one where at the end, you know, the, um, the female alien, I don't remember her name on the show, but you know, she turns and disgusts and runs from the cage. And what is she going to do? What are they, are they going to punish her? Or, you know, is there, a, is that a crime to not go with the program out there? You know, is Roddy McDow going to try to escape? is, you know, are there other aliens that are imprisoned somewhere else? There's a whole bunch of different ways you can go about it in your head, and I'm sure I'm not the only one to do that, but I think my point and what I'm trying to say is I wouldn't discount the full-length feature version of a Twilight Zone episode out of hand, and I wouldn't discount maybe, you know, digging up an old Sterling script and making something full-length, even if he had written something that was shorter. But I think The bottom line is, and the point of those two options for me, is that it has to have Serling's hand in it somehow. It can't be, I'm a famous director, I love Rod Serling, this is how I think he would have written. I just, I don't want to hear, you know, that's not the same. It it has to have his hand in it, and obviously, we don't all live forever, and he's no longer with us, but, you know, for something as, as, as important as Twilight Zone, I think it does have to be there, um... You know, it has to come from him. In a lot of ways, I'm actually—I would actually trade a a Twilight Zone movie made in this way for a well-made biopic on Rod Serling himself, which is also being rumored out there. Um, I'd actually be more interested in that if it's done the right way and and if his family is involved and everything works with the movie. I've heard rumors of Leonardo DiCaprio being involved, and he's one of my favorite actors, so. You know, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Maybe that's all just rumor. Uh, I don't know what the latest is. Maybe you can even update us on that. Um, but the last I saw, I guess it was in the works as much as this Twilight Zone movie was in the works. So I guess that's my point, though. That's that's all I need to say. Um, You know, I also do a podcast called Uncommon Radio. It's um, a show that plays progressive hip-hop, which is underground and experimental stuff. I don't know how much that appeals to anyone listening, but if you are uh, an underground hip-hop head and you uh, enjoy The Twilight Zone, you'll probably love the show. So look that up on iTunes as well, and thanks again, Tom. Um, Hope you enjoy this little piece that I sent you and really appreciate the show. Uh, best of luck getting uh the rest of these <laughs> the rest of these seasons out and I know it's hard but uh, we're all listening and waiting thanks so my
1: thanks to NASA for a great bit of feedback there and I think you see this is why I love other people getting involved with the show because you know it really helps to put a new spin on things sometimes and get, get other opinions and so on And he's pointed out something there which, you know, I didn't even think of at the time. But when I was talking with Chris and Luke in the Christmas special, I was saying... You know, I don't really like the thought of a Twilight Zone movie. That's just one long story. But I've said many times on the podcast before how I consider Planet of the Apes to be the first true Twilight Zone movie. And, of course, it's a full-length feature, so... You know, that was staring me in the face, but it sometimes it takes someone to point that out to you to so you can think, well yeah, actually, they've got a point there. Um but there's a lot of good points in there in NASA's feedback. So I want to thank him again for sending that in because it's given me some food for thought. Especially as well on the point of can we really have a new Twilight Zone without someone who seems to be so prolific in their story writing and creation as rod Sailing, you know the man was a machine he just to say he churned them out would suggest that there's no quality there but as we know that's not the case he just seemed to be able to produce at a great speed and still be of great quality are there any writers out there today who can really match him for that i don't know i don't know obviously there are great writers out there but uh time's going to tell on this one but you know great point Nasa and uh, thanks again for your feedback so I'll, I'll put the call out there because I think you know it is great to get thoughts on either the episodes or what do you think about the new Twilight Zone movie what are your thoughts on it you know everyone's feedback is welcome and I not only welcome it but I encourage it and I hope for it because there's no greater reward as a podcaster than when people engage with you and so on so if you've got any feedback on anything to do with the Twilight Zone that you would like uh, read out on the podcast either send it to me in the form of an email to tom at com, or record an mp3 and send it to the same email address and we'll, uh, we'll get it on the show now, normally I would thank the iTunes um, reviewers at this point, and I'm going to leave that till next next time because we are running a bit long. And also, uh, I've got some information about Twilight Zone Pinball that a listener has sent in that I, I think might be an interesting little curiosity, but I'm going to save that till next time too because we are running a bit long. Um, so I hope you'll join me next time where we'll be talking about the episode The Big Tall Wish. Bye-bye.